our reading is headed suffering for doing good. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathise with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do fight, do right, sorry, and his eyes are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, who, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid for their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing God, doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. He went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is, if, it is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honour next to God. And all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Right, we're looking from the passage which Wendy um, has. And if you've got a Bible with it open there, it might be helpful to look through it as I go through you obviously have picked up anyway that there's a context there of persecution and Peter was speaking in a church that was being persecuted at that time. There's also a context of the one who suffered more than anybody else, which was Jesus Christ. And this actually does fit in very much to what we're going to be doing later, which is having communion together. But Peter starts by actually centering on what fellowship is all about. And then he goes on to say what worship is all about. 
The first may seem obvious, the second less so, but hopefully we'll uh, understand what it, that is. Peter starts by saying that we should be like-minded. A difficult challenge for us all. Something we have to work hard at doing. Because we've all got different backgrounds and everything like that. So being like-minded is a bit of a challenge. And then goes on to say we should be sympathetic. I'd like to actually change that word sympathy to empathy. Sympathy is just feeling uh, well disposed to people, whatever they're going through. Empathy is actually trying to put ourselves in the position that that person is. So if there's somebody that we know well, who is suffering because of what is happening, try and put ourselves into their position. Or the same if, if they're feeling good as well, if they're rejoicing. Again, trying to put ourselves in their position. Paul then speaks, uh, Peter then speaks about uh, loving each other. And uh, the word used there is Philadelphia, which literally means a brotherly love. But in fact, as the uh, version that Wendy read says, it applies just as much to brothers and sisters. Talks about being tender hearted. Very often, we seem to feel that in order to protect ourselves, we have to be a bit hard-hearted. But Peter was saying, that's not right. You should be tender-hearted. Your heart should be tender. And that does mean suffering as other people suffer as well. And being humble. Again, a difficult thing probably then and now, when people are always trying to get on in life, to have authority over others as well as themselves. And humility doesn't quite fit in with that. But Peter says, you should be humble. So that's the essence of a fellowship. Now, in some ways, what he says is totally controversial. Because it speaks about brotherly love. And we have our own experience of brotherly love in the Bradley family. And I'd like Paul to bring up a slide now, which demonstrates that. Oh, not quite right. Yes, it's coming up in a minute. We did say there might be a few technical glitches. This, right. <laughs> brotherly love, this in fact was taken of my three boys, three brothers together. It was a celebration when my mother reached the grand old age of 90. She'd be about 106 now if she was still alive. So it was 16 years ago this was taken. And uh, in our family, the dinner table was something which was well celebrated. Well, I say well celebrated. People who actually uh, came in and uh, weren't used to it, uh, sometimes find it a bit overwhelming. See, we had three fairly intelligent kids. In fact, I felt they were very intelligent. And they did indulge in a bit of banter together. And banter led on to point scoring, point scoring off each other. Also, occasionally, there were certain wind-ups taking place. <laughs> sometimes the mother was the victim. Other times, it was... Uh, 
one of the other brothers. For instance, at the end of a meal, Stephen would very uh, graciously stack all the plates together and then put them in, in front of Matthew so Matthew had to take them to the kitchen. And Matthew started getting a bit wound up about that because it happened meal after meal after meal after meal. Why do I always have to go into the kitchen? And do you think Stephen felt sympathetic and decided not, he wasn't going to do that in future? No. It, the more Matthew got annoyed, the more Stephen did it. <laughs> Sometimes we had arguments as well and they could be quite heated. So, that, so as parents we were thinking, is this really worth doing? We have an ideal about eating together, but does it actually work with reality? When we had our 40th wedding anniversary, all three of our kids gave a bit of a speech. And at least one of them concentrated on the value of us eating together. We weren't perfect people by any means. And many of the things we did were wrong. But there was certain value in that. And they felt it valued because it wasn't the case of everybody in their classes. And when they went to university, they very often ate on their own. But what they did find, and what we did find, was when other people were involved, they showed great loyalty to each other. They did want to share in their joys and sorrows. And we're sharing joys at the moment because we just had our first grandchild. But it's a joy that's shared by the brothers as well. They're keen to see uh, Ezra as well on the pictures. They're keen to join in the, the once a week Zoom session we have. And they can be very generous. So what Peter is saying is not some ideal of brotherly and sisterly love when every, nothing ever goes wrong, where we're always good to each other. He realises that there's a certain reality and there's a certain reality in our churches. Okay, we would like to do good all the time. We would like to be the generous people that, Paul, that Peter says. But there's a certain reality. And it can be frustrating being a Christian in a fellowship together, particularly when people don't do what you want to do. We also have a certain number of rough edges which we need to uh, knock off. Well, I certainly do. If you don't, that's fine. But remember what I said about loyalty. If we're a fellowship together, we can show a real united witness to a hostile world and people don't expect us to be perfect. But they are impressed when we show a united witness. They can be impressed when we support each other in the joys and sorrows of their life and realise how important it is. I know it can sometimes happen in hospitals uh, that uh, people are really surprised of how many visitors Christians have from people in the fellowship and the care that is shown. It's something that's been shown by my sister-in-law as well when, when before the uh, COVID-19 crisis and where visitor, visitors were allowed, it was commented how many visitors that the, she used to have from her church. All right, we talked about fellowship and now Peter moves on to worship. You'll see that he actually quotes from a psalm and that psalm is 
Psalm 34. And it starts with the word, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth. That's how Psalm 34 starts. And the verses that we have there follow it. And the context doesn't appear immediately to be worship. We know what worship is, or we think we do. It's what we do on Sundays, isn't it? And we've done it today as well. Yes, that is what worship is all about. But worship is also about what we do all the time. When we're shut in, as we are at the moment. When we go to work, which we hope we're going to be able to do in the not too distant future. When we meet other people in the road, when we give them the sort of keep two metres away from them. Worship is all about that as well, because it's giving God what he is worth. It is worship. And Peter starts to say, what are the keynotes of us worshipping God? He does talk about wanting to enjoy life and see many happy days. And of course, that's what we want to do. We want to enjoy the fellowship we have with God and being with him all the time. But he speaks about the fact that we should keep our tongue from speaking evil and our lips from telling lies. In other words, worship is all about saying the right thing. It's turning from evil and doing good, doing the right thing. And it's seeking after peace. There is a lot of violence in this society in which we are. There's also a lot of backbiting. There's a whole lot of other things that are going on. There's people disagreeing with each other. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, which isn't just the peace lovers, because we all love peace, don't we? The challenge that Peter had is who is going to harm you if you're doing good? And the fact is that in the context he was at that time, there were plenty who were harming Christians, even though they were being good. There was a sign, see how Christians love one another, and that's what they were known for. And it wasn't just the case then, it's been the case of Christians throughout the ages. There was one group of uh, Christians who existed at the time of the Reformation. They weren't part of the Re main Reformation streams. They were called Anabaptists. And they were known as people who do good, so much so that there's one person in a village who was actually questioned by the authorities of that village. And his sin was that he'd gone around doing good. And so they suspected that he was one of these terrible Anabaptist people. And he spent ages and ages persuading them that he wasn't. And he wasn't. And eventually they reconciled it. But isn't it good that if people will see those doing good and think, well, maybe they're Christians. I hope that's the case. I hope that that is what we're known for. Peter then goes on to say that doing good is about worship. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. In other words, give Christ the preeminence in all that we do. And if someone asks for you about your home as a believer, always be ready to explain it. 
So that may think, into, uh, you may have to think in terms of, well, if anybody asks me, what will I say? But there's another thing as well, that God does give us the words to say when we are challenged as well. So we don't necessarily have to worry about that. Keep your conscience clear, says Peter. And if people speak against you, you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. But if somebody asks for your hope as a believer, be ready to explain it, but in a gentle and respectful way. Now, certainly as a chaplain, I meet people with all sorts of beliefs. And it is very easy to think, cool, that's a bit silly, isn't it? Or I don't agree with that. Or that's not what the Bible teaches. All those things may be correct. But I know that I've got to treat people with respect. And understand, try and understand why they're coming from, why they believe in that way. Because I know if I do that, then there's a possibility they may listen to me. And sometimes they do say, well, what do you think, Chaplin? And I'm able to say. And so whatever we come up with, whatever strange beliefs there are in this world, and there are many, let us be known by people who treat each other with gentleness and respect. Now, there is a possibility that if we do this, we will be known as do-gooders. Cue second slide. <laughs> Does anybody want to be known as a do-gooder, I wonder? Here's a whole lot of do-gooders. I actually think that this is one of these uh, things you have at work. Team building days where you go out and do various things. And if you see their particular vests or their uh, T-shirts, it says, I'm a do-gooder. And it seems like they're getting involved in some sort of environmental project. In Colorado, it might appear. So it's on the other side of the pond. But sometimes we don't like to have the image of being a do-gooder. Because it's a gesture sometimes of contempt rather than praise. And what Peter's message is, uh, don't be afraid of being a do-gooder. Because God is happy for you to be known as one. Now, what opportunities are we going to have nowadays? In some ways, it looks like our opportunities are limited. I hope I'm still on. <laughs> yeah, good. The screen went a bit strange. When we, some of us have to stay indoors most of the time. Well, I've been finding that we've actually had more opportunities than usual. Even on a Thursday evening when we go out into our front drives and clap for the uh, applause. We've started with our neighbours the opportunity of uh, emailing each other, sharing things, offering to... Uh, uh, go to the shop. If we're going to the shop, we'll pick other people's up. And in fact, we're having more opportunities. And when we go out for a walk, which is what Wendy and I do regularly, we have to keep two metres away. But as we do so, we find there's more conversations happening as to people as they pass by, when they say thank you. 
and they say how they are and everything like that. Ironically, in this time of COVID-19, we've been finding more opportunities rather than less to do good. And let us use those. Of course, the main example that uh, Peter brings up of doing good was Jesus himself. Somebody who never sinned, not only that, who died for sinners to bring us safely home to God. That, of course, was the whole, whole aspect of what he said and what we say. Because our desire is that we bring people to God. That other people receive the salvation that we have. And it speaks about Jesus even speaking to the spirits in prison. Now, I could speak about that, but it would take at least three quarters of an hour. So I'm not going to, because there are so many views about what all this is involved. But it, may, it means that Jesus did speak, sometimes speak words of judgment, very often speak words of love in every situation. And we don't know quite what happened between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, which this seems to refer to. It seems that Jesus was active there in proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter ends by speaking about one sacrament, which is the sacrament of baptism. Something which uh, many of us have been through. And it's a day which really is a fantastic day in our lives, which we remember. And Peter speaks about uh, baptism, speaking about cleansing and about salvation. In the contents of Noah, where in fact water did not bring salvation or didn't speak of salvation, actually spoke of condemnation, of people dying, but also of rescue in Noah. So that's one sacrament. And the second sacrament we're going to do in a few minutes time, which is the sacrament of communion, which again speaks about the death and resurrection of Jesus and the good things that Jesus has done for us. Communion also speaks about going out into the world. And it speaks therefore about what I've been saying already about the opportunities that we have nowadays to go out in the world, even in a COVID crisis. So I'd like to end by just listening to the words of Tim Hughes and seeing the paragraphs and seeing the uh, particular pictures that are there. Because those speak to me very, very powerfully about doing good. And so, Paul, if you'd like to bring up that particular YouTube video. Savior to all. Can't
Into action. 